This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's pretty amazing that over 100 years ago, Prohibition started in the United States. And whiskey and liquor companies and beer companies all over the United States went out of business. Then, almost 100 years later, a sign on the side of the wall gives an interesting thought to somebody to restart a whiskey brand right here in Kansas City. Well, it didn't start with the whiskey brand. It started with a simple restaurant. And now, Executive Vice President of Jay Rieger, Ryan Maybe, sits down with us on our Two States, One Story podcast to tell us the story behind Jay Rieger. It's very rare for this new podcast that we have a guest in studio today, but I think both of us are really, really excited about this. And I know I am because after going to um, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, and seeing the Prohibition Museum, this is going to be right in my wheelhouse where we talk about the history of Prohibition, whiskey, and booze right here in Kansas City. Yeah, how exciting is this? I'm so excited to actually have a guest with us today and to talk. I mean, I'm not really fond of the Prohibition era, at least. I don't know if I'd be hanging out in a Prohibition museum but like you were. But from a history were. standpoint, it's an epic experience that I think everybody should partake you, in. When you said they sold booze at the end. And they do. They, that there's is, a speakeasy, okay. except on Sundays. Well, that's ridiculous. And you can't get a cocktail on a Sunday Stu- unless they're a full-fledged bar. Stupid laws. Yeah, I tell you what, we'll be talking about those. And we will talk about those. And and, and that's where we're going to start with Ryan Maybe uh, with us today here on the podcast. And you have a unique history, man. I, I think it's so cool when, when we had a chance to talk a couple of weeks ago down at Rieger and just finding out the history of Jay Rieger from 1800s to the Prohibition era and how it all kind of just came about. And because of you, it's been recreated again, what once was a thriving whiskey industry here in Kansas City and then gone because of Prohibition has been you know resurrected because of you and finding a mural on the wall. I mean, how big was Rieger before Prohibition hit not just Kansas City, but the United States? Oh, well, Jay Rieger and Company was was huge back in the eighteen uh, nineties, uh, early early nineteen hundreds. Actually, founded in eighteen eighty seven in uh, what's now known as the West Bottoms. Um, you know the 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 history of prohibition and uh, the temperance movement in Kansas City is really unique to uh, the rest of the country in a lot of ways because of the the position of Kansas City on the border you know, between Kansas and Missouri. And right. so, you know, where the state line crosses down in that area in the West Bottoms, um, the state of Kansas uh, was the first state in the country to pass a statewide uh, alcohol prohibition way back in 1881. So that was a full 38 years prior to the federal prohibition. Uh, Kansas went completely dry, um, which everyone that was on the Kansas side of the state line said, okay, fine, well, we'll just go across the street, essentially. Sure. And that area um, along 9th Street, um, one block in uh, from from the state line became known as the wettest block in the world. I think on one block there were 24 saloons or yeah. casinos, uh, you know, brothels and like this whole industry built around booze uh, that just kind of blew up right there. Um, and then a little further down the road on on Genesee, uh, still just like one block in from state line, uh, Jay Rieger and Company was founded in 1887. And just kind of benefited from all that traffic down there, the you know people coming through Kansas City by train on Union right. Depot, um, and it helped spread the the Rieger brand across the country. 
I love that idea too about this whole Kansas early prohibition because you know Kansas, I you know how I feel. Well, I'm not surprised that Kansas was the first state. That was one of the things we saw at the prohibition. Yeah, like Kansas was on board like 30 years before prohibition even engulfed the United States. And I don't know how much it mattered. I mean, you talk about uh, even a history of country clubs in Kansas City and looking at Mission Hills when Mission Hills was built, where they put their clubhouse. On the Missouri side, so yep. people could get their booze and then cross over, <laughs> right. get their caddy, and go play a round of golf. I mean, this was a for it, for being um, on the state line with this prohibition law. I don't know how much it really mattered. I think it actually maybe even fueled the fire even more for Kansas City, Missouri, to be so wet and to have all of these distilleries and breweries in the area. Oh, I think it absolutely did. I think there's no question that it did. Um, that area became known as the wettest block in the world. Uh, kind of earned that. Earn that mantra, but Jay Rieger and Company, uh, you know, was definitely a, probably to some extent a beneficiary of that. But um, Jacob Rieger's son, <clears throat> Alexander Rieger, took over operations of the company right around 1900, and he's really the one that blew it up and made it into a, a nationwide um, brand. He was uh, incredibly creative uh, when it came to marketing, branding. If you look at our history. Uh, the history of our brand, we have a ton of old swag, old branded materials, shot glasses, right. corkscrews, um, these beautiful full-color advertisements that were uh, sent out in newspapers around the country for uh, mail-order whiskey, which unfortunately we can't do that anymore. Um, <laughs> but back then, they could just ship directly to your front door you know, in exchange for cash. Um, but it was really savvy marketing uh, mm-hmm. back then that you didn't see a whole lot of other brands uh, do when I look at at the history of our our branding, um, it really stands out. The, it, it was very very clever and very striking. And, and what happened is this brand thrived, and and with the train depots, Union depots, you called it, and people coming in from all over the country, you had the ability to get it out. And it's a thriving whiskey brand, and here it is, one of the most popular brands out there. And then prohibition happens, and the brand just boom ceases to exist, goes away, never to be heard from again. Why wasn't there some sort of you know, let's make maple syrup or let's do something like that to kill the time like a lot of the other breweries and distilleries did during that time of Prohibition. Well, I think there's probably a lot of reasons behind that, but mainly because Alexander was so um, such an adept businessman. I mean, at that point, by the time Prohibition happened, he had already diversified quite a bit. He was already um, he had already started a, a bank. Um, he was on the board for a, a, a home and trust company, so he had already diversified his his business dealings. They had built the Rieger Hotel mm-hmm. in 1915, uh, right after the opening of, of Union Station, where it is today. And, and so, the the hotel business wasn't necessarily a big. Um, I, I don't think it was necessarily a big step for him as far as like getting into the hotel business as much as it was trying to promote Jay Rieger and company with that mural on the south wall, um, having a full display of, of liquor bottles in the front window, um, and actually calling the the bar in the in the lobby the Rieger the Rieger bar, mm-hmm. um, and so it, you know he was diversified. But you know when prohibition happened, uh, it was an instant uh, death blow to the company. You know, and he actually sold the hotel. One week prior to the Volstead Act taking uh, taking place. Smart man. I love the, some of the old advertisements like you were talking about with uh, Jay Rieger, talking about like Blackberry Brandy in 1889. It's advertising it for good for the grip. I'm like, <laughs> there's a way to sell something. But, you know, I guess people were looking for remedies. And also that idea of, of people looking at these catalogs that he was so good about putting out with all these different advertisements. And even after Prohibition... Um, I found this piece of information so fascinating that 
a guy wrote the Rieger Company, which of course expired in 1929 around Christmas tide, and said, "Dear sir, please send me eight quarts of your uh, monogram whiskey you have advertised in the World Almanac. Please send it COD." It's like people still wanted to get that brand, and they couldn't get their hands on it, obviously because of prohibition. And uh, maybe people thought they could, you know, sneak it through the mail. But I don't know if he was ready to commit some type of federal crime. I think banking was probably better for Alexander Rieger. Yeah, I, I think uh, the, the Rieger family moving into banking ended up working out OK for them. Yeah. Um, it, it's a shame that uh, that Jay Rieger and company went out of business and the brand died um, and the Rieger Hotel, you know, uh, changed hands and, and ceased to exist under that name at that point. But um, ultimately it, it worked out. And, you know, the. Uh, there was some there were some actual court battles going on for a while after prohibition started alexander rieger actually fought in court for about 8 years wow. um to have the right to take his own stock of whiskey that he produced prior to prohibition taking effect and demanding the right to take it home right because it was produced when it was uh, still legal to do so. And he ended up winning that court battle in 1927, and a judge ruled in Alexander's favor, um, actually issuing a restraining order to the federal agents saying that they cannot confiscate his whiskey and he should be allowed to take it home. Well, and, and that's another interesting kind of layer in, in all of this, because not only did they fight that and, and win that in court, but you mentioned the reinventing of themselves as the family from the bankers to the hotels. And that's kind of where you got your start at that Rieger Hotel. But even before you got there, I mean, there was a lot of crazy things that were going on. Al Capone, who was a big, you know, to do during the during the Prohibition era and really became who he was because of Prohibition was staying there. A lot of weird things happened down at that hotel. So that Rieger Hotel hotel, even though they divested around 1915, was still a big part of kind of Kansas City history and seeing a lot of these famous people kind of come through town. Yeah. Um, so Alexander Rieger sold um, uh, sold the hotel in 1920, in January of 1920, uh, to a gentleman named Lloyd Jacobs, I believe. And, uh, and the hotel's name changed a, a couple of times. It became the Lennox Hotel, and then it became the Traveler's Hotel. But during the 1920s, uh, during Prohibition, uh, there was a lot of crazy stuff that went down, and it's actually really well documented that Al Capone stayed there frequently. Al Capone um, did a lot of business in Kansas City during that time as far as uh, uh, shipping his bootleg whiskey, which almost all came uh, from across the border in Canada. Mostly it was Seagram's mm-hmm. um, that he would have been shipping down to Kansas City, and he was working through Tom Pendergast. And Tom Pendergast's office was right there on Main Street, just a couple doors up from uh, what was the Rieger Hotel. And uh, Al Capone was notorious for um, whenever he would travel, he would always want to stay um, close to the railroad tracks. He would, If he had to make a quick getaway, um, he wanted to have access to uh, jump on a train real quick. So um, the position there of the Rieger Hotel between Tom Pendergast's office and Union Station was ideal for him. And so he did a lot of business um, out of that, that building. Um, there's also some, we've discovered some uh, uh, Kansas City Star Articles from that time period uh, uh, showing some of the the dealings that went on at the at the the hotel that are that are kind of interesting. In one, it documented a, a shootout, a shooting that took place, and then um, about nine years ago, when when we uh, started doing construction on the first floor to open up the Rieger restaurant, we actually discovered a, a bullet uh, lodged in the wall. And we dug oh, that out of the cool. wall. 
Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Are, are, is that ho- hotel haunted, do you think? Because I know a lot of that stuff from the 1920s and the Prohibition era, everybody talks about it being haunted, especially down south. And Kansas City's kind of one of those tweener places. The north is the south. So there, is there a lot of haunted kind of things, like, like ghosts floating around that hotel? <laughs> I think it depends on who you ask. Um, personally, I'm going to say no, because I've, <laughs> I've never had an experience yeah. quite like that. And I've... I also worked for five years at Pierpont's in Union Station, and everybody insisted that Union Station was haunted, but I never saw anything that, that suggested that and uh, never had any weird uh, occurrences at uh, the, the Rieger either. Um, but I have had have heard stories and other people say that they have. Yeah, I've heard the Union Station Pierpont's one, too. A ghost would go up the yeah. ladder and things like that. So you never <laughs> saw anything like that, huh? No. Oh. No, I ran it up and down that ladder 100 times a night, though, <laughs> yeah. for five years. There's a lot of cool stories about some of the things going on at Rieger Hotel that, that even when it was the Lennox that I thought were interesting from doing research. There was one that some guy probably had a little bit too much to drink. I mean, there's a shocker mm-hmm. um, in 1919, and he knocked on everybody's door. Um, at 10 o'clock in the morning and wakes everybody up with a gun in his hand and says, dance or I'll blow your feet off. And so the police show up and everybody's out in the hallway dancing because they don't want to get in trouble. Um, They don't want to be shot. And at the end of it, he said he just had to see that new dance he heard about. And then he admitted he probably had some, you know, too much to drink and even try to get the cops to start dancing, too. So poor guy. Was you know, it's, you know it's Charleston. <laughs> I, they didn't tell me what dance. I want to know what dance. 1919. I have Has no idea. Charleston. You know, what's well, really funny about that story, too, is that not he went in there and, you know, had people was forcing people to dance at gunpoint. Yeah. You know, and then he uh, he was arrested and fined ten dollars and released. Like, that was Amazing. that's what happened. to yeah. He got fined ten bucks. That wow. Was still, still pretty penny, but. So yeah. it's not like, you know, if you have a gun out and you're just like walking around in a hotel, I mean, how terrified would you be if you woke up and then not only you want me to perform, mm-hmm. not only do you you've got a gun pointed at me, you, you, have, you want me to perform. I'm not sure if I can pull that one off. Yeah. But I mean, there are some really cool stories about that hotel, as there are with a lot of those historic properties. If you look in and if you dig in enough in the newspapers, um, it's pretty funny stuff. And that hotel does have so much history because of its location and because of why it was built. It was Kind of cool because uh, it originally had um, a bathroom for everybody, a private bath. I mean, I don't know if you've traveled in Europe, but I've stayed in some hostels where I didn't have a private bath. And and back in these days, that would have been pretty cool and a new, you know, in innovation that would have had people drawn to that hotel. Some other marketing that that they did for the hotel that I thought was really interesting. Um, it was advertised as the only fireproof hotel yeah, in in downtown Kansas City, and so that was a big thing. Fires back then were huge. Fires I were mean, big back then. Like it, I don't feel like we get fires today no, like we used to. Not right? not well, like back then. And no. I think we've gotten better at you know prevention in general. Right, yeah. but it was actually the Rieger Hotel was originally advertised as being the only fireproof hotel in Kansas City, and then it was also advertised they uh, they advertised steam heat. Um, in yeah. in all the rooms. Um, so you know the interesting thing is like. In the 1800s and the you know 1880s and 1890s, hotels were extremely opulent and glamorous, and really, you know, only intended for the very wealthy, because only the very wealthiest people could travel back then, could afford train travel and hotels. But by 1915, uh, 1914, 1915, when Union Station was built, it really 
um, it, it lowered the price uh, for travel, and you started to see more uh, blue-collar uh, workers traveling by train, and so little hotels like the Rieger. The Rieger was considered more or less a, a budget hotel. Right. You know, it wasn't over-the-top glamorous. Um, it was considered affordable um, and approachable, but then also having those nice amenities like a, like a, a, a bathroom in each room. So w- once Prohibition ended, why did they just decide not to get back into the whiskey business? Because they were just done with that? Like they got that out of their system, so to speak? And they I, the I, would, uh, I would assume that at that point, uh, you know, Jacob Rieger had passed away by that point. Um, Alexander Rieger was getting older and, and the, you know, the, his sons, uh, uh, Nathan, uh, Oscar and Jack were running the company, uh, banking businesses. Um, and so for, you're talking 14 years, you know, and, and I just assume that so much had changed by that point that they probably, um, were too far removed from it to get to start it up again. Don't you want to, don't you wonder though, with that case that he fought so hard, all of that, I want to know what did he do with the booze? Yeah, where, where, where'd, where, it go? where'd it go? Did he sell it? Did he drink it? Did he it was a it? lot. I think I want to say that back then in 1927, it was valued at, you know, uh, 20 or $25,000 or something Jeez. like that. And, and That's so that would have been a lot. Um, so I, I don't know the answer to that. It's hard to say, but. Um, you know, we continue uh, searching and digging and, and we keep finding bottles and they're usually empty. Um, but every once in a while, we'll come across something that has some some whiskey in it. Does anybody drink, drink it? it? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I taste it, it yeah. you know. What's it um, taste like at that? I mean, like you're talking 100 year old whiskey. Is it like, is it drinkable or? Is absolutely it like, drinkable. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's yeah. so cool. Good, like smooth. And, yeah. You know, the one H- that I tasted recently. Um, which was actually uh, found in a in Allegheny National Park in Pennsylvania. A guy found uh, when he was out hiking or something and uh, sent it to us. It was a Rieger bottle, and he uh, he found it and he he sent it to us. And I was kind of blown away at how good it tasted. Actually, I, I was going to ask you where are people finding these bottles? I thought maybe around town or something. You're saying people are finding things in Pennsylvania. We've, we like, we have found we have found Rieger bottles uh, from coast to coast. Mail order um, whiskey. Most of them, I would say, more of them we find out west um, because more people were traveling westward at that time and passing through Kansas City. Um, so we've I've found personally I found a lot in Colorado, um, California. Uh, most of them tend to be out that direction, but this this one in particular uh, was in Pennsylvania. All right, so you're sitting there, tendon bar, you're in Union Station, you're pier punch, you're running up and down that ladder, your knees are probably getting to the point where like, I can't do this anymore. Oh, I was 24. 24. I, was so, so you're getting close to the knees doing it, right? And, and so you start to think to yourself, I'm ready to go out on my own. Yeah. Why the Rieger Hotel? Like, How did you end up targeting and finding that as the spot where you originally started Manifesto? Well, I didn't go directly from Pierpont's to um, the Rieger. Um, I did decide, while I was a bartender at Pierpont's, I just absolutely fell in love with the industry. I loved bartending. I, you know, I realized I'm really good at this, and I really enjoy it. I worked at Pierpont's for five years full-time, and I, there was never a single day I, I, I don't think that I went in and, and thought, I don't want to be here. Like I, I really loved my job. And I loved bartending and I love the industry. And I thought, I can do this. Like, I want to own my, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to own my own bar and restaurant. And so I started looking specifically in the crossroads. I mean, being at Union Station in 1999 when it first reopened um, for, for those five years and seeing the direction that Kansas City was growing in its renaissance in the early you know, time of that downtown renaissance was really exciting for me. Um, and I, so I moved down uh, to that neighborhood. 
1999, and I I would ride my bike around the crossroads, and I just loved all the old buildings downtown. What was down there in 1999? Not much. Nothing, right? Like, almost yeah. nothing. So were you living in the Western Auto Lofts? Because like for a time, that was like all No, I was living... There, right? Initially, I lived in uh, the Hyde Park area. Uh-huh. Uh, when I first moved to downtown KC, I lived in Hyde Park, and I would bike often from from there to uh to union station and i would bike around the crossroads in downtown a lot on my days off um kind of dreaming about you know an old finding an old building and turning it into a bar um that opportunity finally uh presented itself in 2006 um where i opened a a bar called jp wine bar uh jp wine bar and coffee house at the corner of 16th and walnut and this was prior to um, the Power and Light District being built, right. the Sprint Center uh, was still a giant hole in the ground, but those plans were in place. And so I I was targeting that area because I really felt like downtown was going to become something really special and then there was going to be a lot of growth, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I specifically looked at that area and in uh, May of 2006, um, I opened my my first um, business, uh, JP Wine Bar and Coffee House. So, how did the Rieger stuff get going? How did you find that spot eventually? In um, two in? years later, two years after opening JP, um, my business partner and I had a, a, a bit of a falling out. We had different visions for that that company and for that brand. And I had this idea for Manifesto in my head. I was still very. We were a wine bar, but I was still very much into the cocktail thing, and I wanted to open up a speakeasy inspired. Uh, craft cocktail bar in I wanted someplace dark and mysterious and hidden and discreet, you know, and so we just decided to part ways and I decided decided to pursue um, opening manifesto and I didn't have a location, but I was looking in the crossroads again and uh, um, There was a guy running a restaurant on the first floor of the old Rieger hotel building It was called 1924 Maine at the time and he reached out to me and he said he had heard um, that I was looking to open up another bar. You know, JP Wine Bar was really successful at the time. And uh, so we met for lunch, and I told him my idea uh, for Manifesto, and he just loved it. And he said, I've got a basement below my restaurant that I don't do anything with. If, you, if you're interested in subletting it, I think it would be a great spot for you. So I went down and looked at it, and it was just it was everything that I, that I wanted in, in, in the space for that bar. And just to think that you didn't really know at this point, I mean, as much as you liked and, and, and embraced Kansas City history and the fact that at the time, which is hard for us to remember, there weren't any speakeasies. There wasn't this revitalization of downtown, this whole Pendergast era inspiration that you were in the forefront of. I just think it's interesting to bring up that you didn't know that history of what that building was. It was just I Not think a clue. It's blind fate. I really believe this mm-hmm. is fate. So so explain. So you you. You saw the side of the building when you were outside after, you know, trying to do some renovations and things like that. And tell us about this this mural that was once there. Well, I opened, um, you know, I, I built out a manifesto in the basement on a shoestring budget in uh, early 2009, um, right after the, the housing market uh, crisis. Um, and we opened in April of 2009. Um, and then about one year later, right around one year later, uh, the restaurant upstairs went out of business. And I was kind of anticipating that. Like, they were not doing well. Um, they were running the business very poorly. And so I kind of saw that coming, you know. And so they went out of business in February of 2010, at which point I went to the landlord and said, I want the restaurant. I know I can can turn it around and do something with it. But to your point, I didn't know anything about the building, you know. I, I didn't know the history of the Rieger name and, and all that. I had no idea. And so... Um, you know, when I learned a little bit more about the Rieger Hotel, 
Um, that's I had partnered with Howard, Howard Hanna, the chef, to open the restaurant, um, and we decided to call it the Rieger uh, because of the history of the hotel. But I still didn't know anything about the history of, the, of Rieger whiskey at that point. Right, it's just a hotel. You just thought right. there happened like, to be a hotel. This was in a Kansas cool. City this was a Rieger. cool old building that that used to be uh, a hotel when it was first built in 1915. Still got the original tile floor with the beautiful R logo. So, right. I mean, it, it to me, it just couldn't be anything else. Like it, it is the Rieger. You know, yeah. and so it's we a had name too. It's a Great strong name, name yeah. you know, it and it's Kansas City history. And so to me, there was no there, there was no debate about what the name of the restaurant was going to be or what the concept was going to be. It's like we're going to bring back the history of this hotel because it's, it's probably really cool, you know. Right. And so we, we had already decided on that. We knew we were going to call the restaurant the Rieger. Um, but I was one day standing outside. We were under construction and I was standing outside in the parking lot and I was thinking about signage, you know, like. Okay, where, where are we going to put the sign on the building? How are we going to do it? Are we going to paint it? Are we going to build a box? Like, whatever. And so I'm looking at the, the south wall of the, the building, and, and I realize there's a faded mural. I just, I, it just never occurred to me before. You know, right. it was really badly faded, um, but there were remnants of paint. And so I'm like, there used to be a mural here, and I'm looking closer, and I realize that it's the outline of a bottle. And what I could swear uh, are the word, like the letters K-E-Y. And I'm like, oh, my God, I think there was a whiskey advertisement painted on this building. How cool is that? Right. You know? And so I'm thinking maybe it's a Seagram's ad. Maybe it's Jack Daniels. Maybe it's some old bourbon or something like that from, you know, the, the it would I knew the building was built in 1915. So I figured it had to have been painted around that point prior right. to Prohibition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I start, uh, I go back inside and I start looking online for old photos of, um, and I already had found some information about the Rieger hotel, but I didn't have an image of the exterior, um, at that point. And so I started looking uh, around for old photos and, uh, I found one, I found a, a photo of the building, uh, taken what, from what looks like kind of up on the hill, like around the world war one, uh, memorial. Um, and and it had the the image on there, and I zoomed in on it, and it said J. Rieger Monogram Whiskey, and I was just floored. They're not a hotel. They're it's not a just whiskey. a hotel. There's yeah. whiskey. I mean, and and you're a bartender. You're trained. You you obviously embrace the spirits industry. Again, it's like it fate. Yeah. yeah, and so you recreated the mural on the side based off of basically that. Yeah, so that I took that image, and then I hired a um, another local company called Arbuckle. Uh, sign company that actually started back in 1885 as well in Kansas City, oh, wow. and they did a lot of the old hand painted murals in the West Bottoms um, back then. And uh, I had, and I wanted because I wanted it to be a, a real, true historic representation. You know, I wanted it to be as much of a, a replica of the original as possible. And so, yeah, I had that mural restored, um, hand painted, and restored as our signage. You know, for the for the restaurant, but also, I mean, the the, the inspiration for bringing back. Rieger whiskey was instantaneous. It was never, for me, it was never a, a, you know, there was no struggle as far as like, well, should I do this? Shouldn't I? I mean, like, I have to, you know? And so you had the thought once you found out that that was a whiskey bottle, I'm bringing back Rieger whiskey. Absolutely. And so you open the restaurant, right? And, mm-hmm. and everything's going, you know, the right direction. You're, you're building up. Everything's headed towards opening night, and you're getting mm-hmm. ready to open this restaurant. Up until that point when you're doing all this, had you had heard from anybody related to the Riegers why any of this was going on? No, I had never met um, any of the family members. I didn't know 
if there were if there was a family you know i um when we were under construction and i discovered this history i i reached i was uh, i had a trademark attorney that was working on the the trademark for the restaurant and everything and i i called her up immediately and i said you're never going to believe this but the family that built this hotel also had a whiskey brand um, and it died with prohibition and I, I want to check on the trademark for it and she checked and it was available. It expired in 1922. Jeez. And so, and nobody had touched it since then. And so I said, I want that. So we registered the trademark for Jay Rieger and company as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just in the hope that, you know, maybe someday we can do something with it, but no, I had never met, um, any family member or, or anything like that. I, and I was really, it was really very early. I was just starting to dig into the history of the brand at that point. And so then all that's going on, opening night of the restaurant happens. And this is where it really gets cool. You have opening night of the restaurant and boom, fate changes for you. Yeah, this kid walks in and, uh, you know, opening, opening <laughs> a restaurant is, uh, um, it's a wonderful ex- experience. It, you know, it's a very powerful, uh, memorable, uh, emotional experience. But um, I never could have anticipated um, uh, Andy Rieger uh, walking in the door. And, and he came in on opening night. Um, he was about 23 years old at the time. And he had been living in Dallas, Texas. And uh, he introduced himself to me. And I was like, wow, this is just incredible. In our next episode of Two States, One Story, we'll find out exactly what happened when Andy Rieger walked into that restaurant on opening night and sat down with Ryan Maybe. A plan was born, but it didn't take place immediately. We'll hear from Ryan Maybe next month about the progress of Jay Rieger and how it got to where it is today as the biggest distillery right here in Kansas City. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.